Welcome to AudioPie's English Literature and Language Show. You can dip into huge chunks of over 19 series for free and learn on the go. Happy listening, everyone. We don't live alone. We're all members of one body. We are responsible for each other. Welcome to the second of AudioPie's podcasts on An Inspector Calls. Today, we're going to consider what genres the play belongs to. In the exam, you can talk about genre as something the writer manipulates to create effects. Detective story, morality tale, ghost story. An inspector causes all three of these genres. Does Priestley stick to the conventions of the genre or does he adapt them? Think of a balloon sculptor twisting and shaping balloons until they look like something completely different. Imagine this is what Priestley does with genre. Then ask yourself why he does this. How well does An Inspector Calls fit the detective genre? It has some of the hallmarks of detective fiction. Wilkie Collins set the template for fictional detectives in his 1868 novel The Moonstone. The detective, as eccentric genius, one step ahead of the reader, or audience in this case, and the other characters in the story, is one convention. This is true in An Inspector Calls. Sheila recognises this. We hardly told him anything he didn't know. But still with a mystery to unravel. Priestley is careful to at least make it appear that he is telling a traditional detective story in this respect, that there is some sort of mystery that Ghoul must uncover. Why the devil do you want to go upsetting the child like that? I didn't do it. She's upsetting herself. Well, why? Why? I don't know. Yet. That's something I have to find out. But that's a red herring. There is no mystery for the inspector to solve. Red herrings, incidentally, are conventions of the mystery or detective genre too. Ghoul knows they indirectly killed the girl, and that becomes increasingly obvious. The point is that the audience thinks there's a mystery, at least at first. The audience is sitting, guessing what the answer to that mystery is, but they are also guessing what kind of story they are watching, as Priestley keeps switching directions and suggesting it's another kind of tale he's telling. Try to go a step further when you're answering questions. Say what the effect of Priestley playing with genre is. What might they say? Priestley switches genres. The audience never quite know what kind of story they're watching. This helps keep the tension high. Let's think about another hallmark of detective fiction. Detectives usually have some sort of passionate hobby that keeps them grounded amidst all the horror they see. With Sergeant Cuff in the Moonstone, it's roses. Sherlock Holmes has his violin. We don't get to know Inspector Gould like this. It's plain, even to Sybil Burling, that there is something a little odd about Inspector Gould. I realise that you may have to conduct some sort of inquiry, but I must say that so far you seem to be conducting it in a rather peculiar and offensive manner. He's not an ordinary detective. And other detective genre conventions are absent. There's no bumbling police force, no sidekick like Watson. It's safe to say it probably wasn't J.B. Priestley's main aim to write a detective story. If all that comes out tonight is true, then it doesn't much matter who it was who made us confess. And it was true, wasn't it? That's what's important. 
and not whether a man is a police inspector or not. Priestley's goal was to get his core socialist message across, start caring for one another or face the consequences. One Eva Smith has gone, but there are millions and millions and millions of Eva Smiths and John Smiths still left with us, with their lives, their hopes and fears, their suffering and chance of happiness all intertwined with our lives. Having lived through two world wars and fought in one of them, Priestley saw this as literally a matter of life and death. Ghoul, then, is more than a detective. He's a moral force. Which brings us to another genre Priestley is using. An inspector calls is a morality tale. Public men, Mr. Burling, have responsibilities as well as privileges. Sheila spells out to the audience that they are watching a morality tale. You began to learn something, she tells her mother and father after the inspector leaves. And now you've stopped. You're ready to go on in the same old way. This is perhaps what Ghoul had to find out, whether they'd share the guilt and act on his words. Sheila and Eric are affected. Ghoul is certainly a formidable moral force. Like we said last time, he's a mouthpiece for Priestley's own views. Inspector Ghoul could be interpreted as an avenging angel even. He uses biblical illusions, lifting language from the Eucharist. We are members of one body. This is an example of intertextuality, where one text refers to another, the Bible. Priestley brings in cultural context, Christianity, to give the moment added dramatic oomph. The detective is suddenly much more than a detective. He's godlike, can't be questioned. Sheila senses this. You mustn't try to build up a kind of wall between us and that girl. If you do, then the inspector will just break it down. And it's the inspector's apocalyptic imagery of fire and blood and anguish in particular that burns itself into Sheila's memory. The idea that he's some sort of supernatural force is also suggested by the fact that he seems to have been sent from the future. He tells them of the girl's death before it occurs. Another theory is that he comes from a very specific point in the future, 1945. The year an Inspector Calls was written and first performed in Russia. Shortly after the end of World War II and a year before its London debut. The play itself is set in 1912, before both world wars. Stephen Daldry takes this idea and runs with it in his production of the play. He has the Burling's 1912 house rising on stilts out of a desolate, war-torn 1945 wasteland. In the play, Arthur Burling is a short-sighted fool, sure war won't happen again. I say there isn't a chance of war. The world's developing so fast, it'll make war impossible. But the inspector seems to know better. So J.B. Priestley is playing with the ghost story genre too. Supernatural events seem to be afoot. Notice again that it's Sheila who senses the inspector's strangeness before it is revealed to the rest of her family and her fiancé with the dramatic telephone call at the end of the play. I don't understand about you. There's no reason why you should. In the exam, you might have to explore a key moment where character or a theme develops. Think about how the author's manipulation of genre allows the character or theme to develop. I think we've seen today that Priestley uses genre to highlight Sheila's developing character. She senses Ghoul's strangeness, 
This clues us into the fact that we might be watching more than a detective story, one that has supernatural elements, and it allows Priestley to portray her as more perceptive than those around her. Someone the inspector has an impact on, proof that we can act on Ghoul's or Priestley's message. And perhaps it helps Priestley develop the theme of being responsible for one another. For instance, why does Priestley choose to dress his morality tale up as a detective story? Theatre audiences don't want to be preached at, but everyone likes to watch a murder mystery and guess who the guilty party is. It's a genre we're familiar with and we never tire of it. It's a clever way of getting his message across in a compelling way. Like he's smuggling the message over to us. He's ensuring we don't switch off. When you spot a writer deviating from a typical generic convention, step back and ask yourself why. For instance, why does J.B. Priestley only make it clear at the end that the inspector is possibly a supernatural being? Why not introduce this ghostly element earlier? Ghost stories are as popular as detective stories, so it would have been an equally stealthy way to communicate his message about community, wouldn't it? But the way he does it means the ghostly element creeps up on you. Sheila gazes wonderingly at the inspector at one point, and as she points out, he seems to know everything about them already. Of course, at the same time, it's staring you in the face the whole time with his name, Ghoul. It makes the twist at the end plausible. We believe that he may well have known about the girl's death before it happened. And because it's believable, it's much more dramatic. It's not one of those twists that we're disappointed with that seem lazy. Might we have been less inclined to take the message at the heart of the play as seriously if the supernatural elements had been more obvious? I'm not sure Priestley wants us to think of Ghoul as simply a ghost, despite his name. The biblical language he uses, the way he moves, massively suggests he has a godlike authority. In a way, when it is revealed that he is supernatural, a ghost from the future, angel, whatever you like, he becomes more authoritative. He's been doing more than his duty, as he claims earlier in the play. Or it's not the duty we imagined. Finally then, to recap, don't stop once you've identified the genre of a moment or of a scene. Ask yourself if the genre is being stuck to or subverted by Priestley. And then ask yourself why Priestley's doing this. What effect does Priestley achieve? Next time, we'll look at structure and form and how Priestley uses these too to keep his audience glued to their seats. We hope you enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to search for and listen to the next episode in the series to build your topic knowledge. Hit the Acast Plus link in the show description to become a premium supporter and unlock access to every episode in every series for as long as you need. We also make GCSE and A-level content for history, RE, sociology and psychology. Happy listening, everyone.